I want to. I want you to go with me tonight. I'm going to uh, pick up a little bit from last week. If you weren't here, I, I, the Lord gave me a word uh, on a week ago Monday that we were in a very strategic moment of time, and, and I believe that. I believe every one of us, uh, no matter what scale we're on, I believe we are in in a very strategic moment of time. I'm just going to touch a few things from last week, and then I'm going to press on to what I'm going to say tonight. I want to remind you of what a strategy is. It is a plan of action designed to achieve a major or overall aim. And if you remember last year or last week, I talked about the game. And I used what God was doing in this period of time. And we read through a bunch of of the prophecies that have been given over this house since the first of the year. And, uh, uh, oh, by the way, I did talk to Mitch Clay uh, yesterday. Got to spend a good hour talking to Mitch I want to encourage you to keep up praying for Miss Renee. I, I said, how's things going? He said, well, we, we are killing cancer and we're, we're building a testimony. And uh, evidently, from what I understand, if I get it right, correct me, you guys, because I know you all have had more conversation with him than I have, uh, that one time she had cancer in past, and I think there was a tumor or something that was there. He said it is no longer seen visible on the x-rays. It's no longer there. But the exciting part, because she had a tumor under her arm, if I understood him right, it was like seven inches, something, was it seven inches? It was huge from what he was talking to me. He said, since she has been doing chemo, but it has shrunk 75%. It has shrunk, and she is seeing very little. She is having some effects of weakness and such as that, but they're rejoicing, believing for total victory. So keep Miss Renee and Mitch. Besides that, Mitch has been off the field. He hasn't been traveling like he was, and he told me, he said, God is taking care of us. All of our bills are paid. We don't have have need of anything. Isn't that just like the Lord, God is so good. So I rejoice with them and what God is doing. But I want you to understand tonight that this is a strategic moment. And there are strategic people. We touched this last week. We are strategic people. There are strategic places and there are strategic moves of God that he's doing this hour. Everything in this moment is strategic. I believe that with all my heart. But we will not see it unless we stay in the flow of the Holy Ghost. If all we're going to do is feed our flesh and we're going to build off of our flesh, we're going to not see what the Lord is doing. And here's something else God spoke to me. Don't discount what seems to be small, insignificant moves. What God has you do. Don't discount this. But God, you know, you're just having me say hello to somebody. I I believe the Lord spoke to me and he said, he is accomplishing more than what you will be able to see with your eye. We heard last year or this year, we heard from Steve Sampson and somebody else spoke the word that the word was momentum. That was, was the word that Steve started up. Our momentum was picking up. And then I think there was a word and I was trying to find it or think about it, who spoke that, that we were in a moment of acceleration this year. In physics, acceleration is a change in speed and direction. 
And sometimes before you are ready for God to speed things up in your life, you need to be pointed in the right direction. So sometimes God is positioning us. He's moving things around. Don't get disturbed. Just keep focused on Jesus because he's moving and he's doing great things. Did I tell you to go anywhere? Okay, we're going to be going to the book of of Mark chapter 8. I think that's where I'm at. I didn't write it down. Mark chapter 8. I think I gave it to him in the back. Uh, let me make sure I'm in the right spot. But tonight we're going to be, yes, I am, Mark chapter 8. Tonight I'm going to be talking about playing the game. Last week it was the game. This week it's about playing the game. And I want you to follow along with me in this passage of Scripture. I think you're going to see it in a different light than you've ever seen it. He said, then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everything very clearly. Father, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for the spirit of revelation. God, I pray that you will help me to communicate in such a way that it will be able to be heard and received. God, I give you thanks for that now in Jesus' name. We're talking about tonight playing the game. I want you to see this. He comes to this place called Bethsaida. There's nothing in the scripture. I don't believe one little dot, jot, tittle, whatever it's called, is insignificant in the word. It's always got a deeper meaning, a stronger meaning than what most of us ever see if all we do is read through it. So he comes to a place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida means the house of fish. I believe he's talking about the harvest here when he comes to the house of of fish. Because remember, when Jesus was walking along the seashore, he gets into the boat with Peter, and he said, Peter, let's launch out into the deep for a drought or for a very large catch of fish. I believe he, he is positioning us for the greatest harvest the earth has ever seen. So when he's there, there is evidently a group of people and a blind man among them. And these people, these friends of this blind man, are begging Jesus just to touch him. That's all he wanted. They wanted him whole, which is a good thing. But Jesus touches him. Jesus Jesus spat in his eye. Boy, how, how we're, I think we're going to start practicing that on Sunday mornings. He sped, he sped in his eye, and he touched him, and then he said, what do you see? He said, I see men walking like trees. They're like trees walking. And then he takes him by the hand and leads him out again, or he touches him again, and now he sees everything clearly. So let's look at all the dynamics of this picture. First of all, this man is in a place of blindness. We all know when you're blind, you cannot see. Maybe we need to look at it like this, that this is the state where most people are in their unregenerated state where they have not been born again, where the Spirit of God has touched them. They have eyes, but they really don't see anything at all. 
Somebody asked Helen Keller one time in history, said, What's, what could be worse than being blind? Helen Keller said it like this, to have eyes to see, but you can't see. And I believe there's a lot of people that are in blindness because they're blinded by sin. They're still in that state of uh, before Jesus has touched them and they can't see. It also could be that he was, if we could look at it like this, he could, we could say he was unaware in one sense of the reality of what was really going on around him. How, would you, how could it be for us? Now, I don't know if this man was blind from birth. It really doesn't give us that picture. But how would it be to walk with a group of people that you can't see their expression? You can't see their face. You can't see their countenance. You can't see the color of their skin. You can hear them. You can know them for a little bit. But the reality of who you're really with is really obscure. It's not there. You really can't see that. So to be blind might be that you are really oblivious to the reality of what is around you. We also could look at it like this. He was ignorant of what God was doing doing. Just absolutely ignorant. That doesn't mean you're illiterate. You just don't know. You've not been taught. You've not been instructed. You've not heard of what God could do. You'd be surprised how many people go to church but have never been taught truly what it means to live the life of Christ and the blessings and benefits that Christ has for them. They have a ticket to heaven. They've never been taught they could be healed. They've never been taught they could be prosperous. They've never been taught that God can restore. They've just been told all you need to do, get born again and make heaven. I'm not downing them, but I'm just telling you, they are, they're not really illiterate, not illiterate people sometimes are people that just don't have the capacity to really grasp everything. They're just ignorant. They've been in the unknown of what God really has for them. So all of these friends, all they wanted Jesus to do was to touch him and make him well. But the first thing that Jesus did, if I read it right, he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of town. I believe there's a couple of things that God, why couldn't have Jesus done it right there? I believe there's a bigger picture than just opening up the eyes of the blind here. First of all, Jesus was taking him out of the place that he was very familiar with. You have to understand, as a blind man, they were dependent on people to get around. But also, there's no question, he kind of knew how many steps would take him to this point. He probably had figured out a few things about, you know, his fear of where he would live. But now he's been taken out of a place of familiarity. And may I also say, he's taken out of his place of security. Here's another thing that we could look at in there. He has taken him, he has taken us out of our desire to function. Listen how I'm going to say it. He has taken us out of our desire, but taken us to a place so that we can function and carry out what he desires in our life and in him through us in this new place. So he takes him by the hand and leads him out. You know, sometimes God wants to do more in us, but we are so set to do what we have that this is the only thing I can do. This is the only thing I can do. 
But I believe God is saying, I'm calling you out. I believe he's calling us out to a greater purpose. I believe what he's doing with us in this, in this hour. He is calling us out, literally calling us out from the world, calling us out from anything of this flesh, from any of the kingdoms of this world. And he's calling us out to empower us to truly be his church and to truly be his ecclesia, his governing body in the earth. He cannot do that if we stay in our place. Or we will never step into that if we just stay in our place of security. He's calling us out. Are you okay? It's Wednesday night. I know it's hot, so, but it's cool in here, all right? So give me a smile once in a while because y'all look really mean tonight for whatever reason. He calls him out. The next thing he does, he spits in his eye. He spits in his eye. I still think we ought to practice that. We'll really see who is in the spirit and who's not. But we need to understand what was happening. Some say in the culture of that day, saliva had a healing process to it. It had healing properties. They would even spit from what I, as I begin to look, because I said, God, there's got to be more than this. Give me some understanding of what you're doing here. So they felt like there was healing properties in saliva to even open eyes. And so they in one sense would, would use their saliva and they would put it. Notice Jesus spit on him, then he rubbed it in his eyes. The ancient Chinese of that day, they believed that most blood and saliva were the same. So there's a principle as you look in John 9. In John 9, Jesus heals another blind man. The Bible said he was blind from birth. The Pharisees asked this question that were around him. Who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither one, this was for the glory of God. So by them, him spitting Jesus in John chapter 9, spit into the, into the ground and he made some mud and he took it and he put it on the man's eyes, told him to go wash. It was a sign, I believe, he was showing them that my blood, my life carries healing, delivering, forgiving power to remove the sins from all mankind. I believe there was a deeper picture in it than just him putting it on somebody's head. I believe it was making a statement to them around. I believe we need to understand that. That the power of God carries the power to completely save, to completely heal, to completely deliver, and to transform. Now, why are you saying that to us? Because you and I need to understand that for the hour of which we're in, or we will not see men correctly the way God sees them. So Jesus spat in his eye, then he asked him what he saw. And the man replied, I see men as trees. And I thought that's an interesting statement to make. I see men as trees walking. The word tree in the Hebrew comes from the same word that is found in Genesis 1 where God said, let us make man after our likeness, or let, him make a, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. It comes from the same word, image. He wasn't saying that trees are men, but he is comparing men to trees. Now, you need to watch this, and I'm, 
Just stay close to me, all right, for a moment. I'm going to have to stay to my notes. So when he speaks of trees, trees have branches, they have twigs and flowers, and they bear fruit that nourishes the hungry. Trees are a needed substance for life. He said, I see men as trees walking. And these trees bear fruit. These trees are expected to bear fruit. So are we as men. Fruit that can only be produced through our life in Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? I'm the vine, you're the branch, and except you abide in me and I in you, you're going to abide alone. And the only way to bear fruit is that the the vine and, and the branch are connected and that life flow is there. And he said it will bear much fruit. That was his desire. He said those that don't bear fruit, what do you do? You uproot them. He said you take them, they're cast into the fire. It's expressed in and through our knowledge of and our relationship with Jesus. So as we, as we build into Jesus, as we grow in Jesus through our knowledge and through our relationship with him, it ought to be bearing fruit. It ought to be bearing moral character. It ought to be bearing the life that reflects our creator. It ought to be bearing the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, uh, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. It ought to be bearing those things so that men will want to come and partake of what we have upon us. Man's life and destiny, listen to this, is tied to a larger ecological reality. If he doesn't see this, listen to this, if he doesn't see this, he actually destroys himself. There are four levels of creation. There's the mineral, there's the vegetable, there's the animal, and there's man. The level of vegetable binds all of creation together as it draws from the mineral. Therefore, it sustains the highest level of life, which are the animals and mankind. So Jesus was revealing, listen to this, when he said, I need, that wasn't by chance. I believe Jesus was wanting him to see, you're going to need the men that you are now seeing to accomplish my purpose of which I brought you here for. So Jesus was revealing the need of man to produce the life of God. I know you are looking at me like I've lost my mind, but let's read this. Isaiah 61. Can you put that up on the screen with me, Miss D? Isaiah 61, verse 3. You've read this right. He said, the Spirit of the Lord. Go to verse 1. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of prison to those who are bound. Next verse. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Listen to this. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may 
may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. He's trolling us. There was a picture he was saying. I've called you to be a tree of righteousness that will bring glory, that will glorify me in everything you do. Isaiah chapter 55, if you don't mind throwing that up for me real quick, Miss D. Isaiah 55 verse 12. It says this, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. He wasn't necessarily talking about the pear and the plum and the peach and the fig. He was talking about the people of the land. When he's talking about mountains, he's talking about kingdoms. When he's talking about hills, he's talking about, he's, he could be talking about people groups. So he said the kingdoms and the hills, they're going to break forth before you. Isaiah 2, you don't have to go there. He said in the last days, God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And he said, the nations will come up to the mountain of the Lord's house and it will be above all the mountains. He's talking about the kingdoms. His kingdom is going to rule over all. So you and I need to understand that when he's talking about trees, he's wanting us to see people. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 3. You're very familiar with this so that you'll know what Jesus was talking about. In the, in the New Testament, as Jesus comes on the scene preaching the gospel of the kingdom, John said, there's one coming after me whose shoe latchets I'm not worthy to unloose. And John speaks to those Pharisees and to those around him. Listen to what he says. He said, therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. He's talking about the religious group of that day. What did he give them a command to do? To bear fruit worthy of their turning to Christ or turning to God. He went on to say, and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Look what Jesus says. And now, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. What was he talking about? I am cutting away. I am, I am chopping that root of religion that has gripped the people of the day. He said, I'm ending that religious spirit at this moment of time. Matthew chapter 7. You go in there, Jesus warns of the false prophets and the false teachers. In verse 15, he said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You shall know them by what? Their fruit. You shall know them. He didn't say you'll know them by how accurate they are in their prophecy. He said you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by what is being produced out of their life. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every, look what it says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. I just wanted you to see what Jesus was doing when he said, I see men walking as trees. He was saying, I see us in the light. I see them bearing. 
I see them producing the life of God. I believe he's prophesying. But then Jesus touched him again, the Bible said. And now he is able to see clearly. So here's a question I want to give to you. The question Jesus asked is, what do you see? I got a couple of questions for you tonight. How do you see yourselves? If you've been touched by God in this hour, you and I need to see ourselves as God sees us, as Jesus sees us. Remember, we just talked about the trees of righteousness, the fruit-bearing trees. Therefore, I believe it is important, church, that you and I no longer walk around so absolutely insecure and weak, but we begin to identify and unashamedly say, I am a child or I'm a son and I'm a daughter of the Most High God. Now, wait a minute. I've made a mistake in saying that. I started out by saying a child. You can be a child in infancy and be a part of the family. But there's a moment you move from being a child and you step into being a son or a daughter, and it's really talking about maturity. It's being able now to take on the business of the family. It's beginning to do those things that Father has instructed us and showed us. We're no longer needing to be packed around and coddled and 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 spoon-fed and given milk, but now we are able to carry on the business when given an order. We can carry it out with preciseness when given a a, a request we can go and we can stand as though father himself is doing the job himself hello not only are we sons and daughters but I want to declare something to you I really believe this I heard I felt like the Lord spoke to me and I'm going to say it like that that we have been pursuing purpose and many people in this place are pur- purpose everywhere you go what's my purpose I'm going to give you your purpose tonight you are the purpose You are the purpose. I believe what God spoke to me on Sunday morning about getting in the boat and going to the other side. Every time I've heard it preached, it's always about getting to the other side. Well, Jesus did say, get to the other side. But there was a journey in the middle of it. I believe he was telling us, this is our life. My purpose is to be the Son of God. Therefore, if I'm waiting to do something, if I'm waiting on an end of something, I may not ever get get there. But if I can realize I am the purpose of God for God's righteousness, God's goodness, God's glory to shine with me, it it works every day, everywhere I go. You never know where God is going or who God is going to bring in your path to reveal his goodness through you. Are y'all with me? Look at your neighbor and say, you're the purpose. Paul said it's like this. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Well, let's go have a glory meeting. Then show up. If you want glory, show up, stand up, act up, do something. Because he said it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul started out speaking in the book of Hebrews like this. In past times, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoke through his son, Jesus, his firstborn, who is the express image of his glory. And if Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 2, 
And I believe it's verse 14. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the firstborn or he died to bring the sons to glory so that now as it was said about Jesus, so is it said about us. If we truly understand who we are, we are the express image of our Father and we are the expression of his glory in the earth. So quit looking for a place to go and just be. Just be every day. When you go to work, okay, God, let's let the glory be revealed. What do you want to do here today? Are you okay? Not only that, listen, Paul said it like this. You got to see yourself right. Not Paul said this, but Zach said that. You, he probably said it. But you got to see yourself right. How do you see yourself? Isaiah prophesied it like this in Isaiah 8.18. I and these people are for signs and wonders in Israel. I and this people, here I am, I and the children whom the Lord has given me, we are for signs and wonders in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells in Zion. You know, you don't need a leg to grow out for God to do a miracle. You just need to show up. You just need to realize who you are because God's going to use you to be a sign. What does a sign do? It points a direction. It takes us somewhere. I, I was telling somebody recently, I remember years ago when I first came over, I wanted to go to Sykeston for whatever reason, and I'd really never been over here much. And so I remember I'd ask, how do I get to Sykeston? Somebody pointed me to the interstate and when I got to the interstate, there was a sign up there that pointed me to, to Sykeston. It was a sign. That's what a sign is supposed to do. Listen, church, this is what God said. You're, suppo you're supposed to be a director that will turn them to me. And he said when he's talking about being a wonder, he didn't say weird. He said a wonder. Our lifestyle, the way we live, the way we conduct ourselves with the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit pouring forth from our life. What is a wonder? Exactly what it says. It makes people think, why? Why are they that way? What is it about them? Why do they have that? How can I have that? It's a sign and a wonder. And that's who he said we were. Jesus said it like this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5. And through verse 13 through the end, uh, 16, I believe it is. He said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You illuminate things. If we want them to see Jesus, then we need to be there. What does the light do if there was darkness? And I got news for you. Darkness never overcomes the light. Never. Never. If it gets dark in here, it's not because it was greater than the light. It means we just shut the light off. But light is never overtaken by darkness. Darkness will always be overtaken by light. David said it like this. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. Matter of fact, I believe David was saying it like this. Your light, Lord, your word tells me where I'm at. 
and it becomes a light to my path. It shows and shines just enough in front of me that it allows me to get to my destiny. It allows me to get to where I need to be safely and without harm. He said we were that. So to point some way to others, I thought, listen, at, at Father's Day, we gave all the dads in here a light. I should have spent more time on that that day. I gave you a flashlight. But, Dad, you don't realize as being a light, you lead the family. I know I've got very few dads in here. I've got some, not all the dads that need to be in here. But think about this. Let's just say it, parents. Because moms and dads, we do steer. We do guide our, our, our children. We guide our grandchildren. We play that role. What does the light do? It opens up a way. If I lose something and I can't see, what am I going to go get? I'm going to go get a light. It's going to help me find it. It's going to help me look for it. It helps me get where, get what I need to be looking for. So my question for you tonight is, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? You need to start seeing yourself. I'm a son and a daughter, anointed and appointed of God for such a time as this. Here's the second question. Here's the second question I believe we've got to ask. How do we see others? This is so, so important. Because every one of us have a lens that we look at people through. Every one of us. We have a lens that we look, we look life through. Or we look at life through. That lens could be a lens of religion. It could be a lens of pain. It could be through a lens of hurt and disappointment. It could be a lens of false teaching, of heresy, that we see people. It's amazing. We all do it. Preachers do it. I shared this a little bit with pastor yesterday. I, I had a dream the other night. I don't know why I dreamed this, but Hank Kuhneman was in my dream. And people were warring against his prophetic voice. And most of the people that war don't have an understanding of, of his gift and, and, the, and the ministry that flows through him. Even some of our dear friends we have found are striking out at different ministries. And a lot of times it's because we're looking through our own lens. You know, we don't understand each other. For, for example, if I'm, if I'm a teacher, a prophet, a prophet is like this. A prophet speaks inspirationally and he's speaking forth from the, you, you know, from the Spirit of God. And a teacher, he's going to say, but you know what? I, we got to break that thing down. It's got to be black and white. And if I can't get every word of it black and white, then I'm going to reject it. But that's how we look. Or a pastor. Well, you know what? You know, a pastor is so loving, a pastor is so caring that we look through that lens to see everything and we see people in that way. And we've got to understand how we are seeing people, how we're seeing other people around us. I, I brought out a couple of things. I brought out religion. I brought out religion. Until you see people by the Spirit, you'll call some people, you're just religious. I didn't, I didn't know this. I grew up Pentecostal all my life. It's all I've ever known, been in Pentecost. Cut my teeth on the pews. Slept under the pew, on the pew. That's all we knew. I never knew. I, I was told, you know, everybody, unless you were Pentecost, you weren't going to make heaven. Come on, some of y'all were there. Some of y'all were there. And, and I just didn't know because we never went. We didn't go. And, and a few years ago, I used Chad Schistler here. His grandmother passed away. Chad was Lutheran boy. And so they had a funeral at the youth Lutheran church. I'd never been in one of those places. 
I didn't know how they'd done funerals. It wasn't quite like we do it, a little bit different. They went through, you're a Lutheran, was a former Lutheran person, just a child of God now. It's really what we all are. But I sit there and watch this guy go through all these formalities. And I'm watching the people that were there as they were worshiping and singing during that time. And I tell you what, Miss Sherry, something hit me. Those guys are just as passionate about God as I was. I thought that brother knows the word. He's just bringing it out different than I bring it out. But because I saw his garment and everything else and what we've been taught over the years, well, you know, y'all must not have anything. That's why there's so much division in the body of Christ and we all can't get along. Because we've been taught and we're seeing everything through our own lens. What about the lens of, of, of hearsay? Oh, my goodness. I tell you what, poor old Joel Osteen, he's going to have a crown bigger than this church. Because most every Pentecostal and everybody comes and strikes that young man harder than anything under the sun. And not a one of them, most of them, I shouldn't say not a one, but most of them have never ever been into his service and sit down and watch what goes on in that church. They take a 20-second snippet of somebody trying to catch him in his words anyway and, and, and put him on the spot and all this, and his ministry was judged. Everything that he does. Now, he may not be our favorite preacher, may not be the one that causes us to run the aisles and jump and do somersaults, but I got to tell you, when you go, after you're done with him, I tell you, I feel good. I'm encouraged. He'll put a smile on your face. Like, he needs to be here tonight. But it's true. Watch his program. Watch his program sometime. You that think he doesn't have any. I sit there with, watch him with 40,000 people in that place. 90% of them have their Bible open, a notepad or an iPad, and they're taking notes. And some of you don't have any of that with you. Sorry, I'm not getting on your case, but I'm making a point. People are feeding off of him. I had a young man tell me his dad, he's a Pentecostal boy. His dad wouldn't go to church whatsoever, but he was a construction worker and he's on the road all the time. But when he went to the hotel, he would turn on Joel Osteen and he would watch him and the man gave his heart to God, watching him in a hotel room. You can't judge everybody. I remember years ago, there was a man by the name, you might have heard of him. It was the first called Seeker Friendly Church. Willow Creek, Bill Heibel, Chicago, Illinois. This was way back there, you know, back, back in the, I guess, 30 years ago at least. I mean, he had a big church. I didn't know it, never heard of him, just people talk about it. Well, you know, this is how we are. You know, he's one of those seeker-friendly church. They're wine bibblers, they're, they're wine sippers, beer drinkers. They're a compromising group of people, and that's how we preached against them. And I know a lot of Pentecostal charismatics went at them because they never, but nobody was ever there. But I had an opportunity one year to be in a meeting where him and John Maxwell were doing a conference. About four or 5,000 leaders from all over the nation met in Knoxville, Tennessee. I never will forget going into that meeting, listening to him preach. And as he was leading us in doing the conference, he said, let me tell you about the little old lady in my church that came to me and said, Pastor, I finally done it. 
I finally got it, Pastor. He said, what did you do? What did you finally get? She said, my desire and my prayer has been that I would fill my entire row with totally devoted followers of Christ. And I finally got my row full. I'm thinking, I don't have one that's brought anybody. Seriously. And then he said, let me tell you about the, the, little, the little single mom that's raising her children all by herself. And she's working two or three extra jobs because we're going to go to the slums of the Philippines. And we're going to minister among the slums next year for a week. And she's raising her own money because she's got a passion and a desire to go. And she's not asked us for a dime or anybody to take care of her children. She's doing this on her own because she's got a passion to minister to people. He said, let me tell you about our vacuum cleaner service. They had a big church. He said, our, our vacuum cleaner shop looks like an Indy race car garage. He said, there's vacuums everywhere. There's belts, there's tires, there's bags, there's all of this stuff. And he said, we've got a waiting list of people that want to serve by vacuuming the church. I sat there and I thought, Miss Tina, I don't have anybody that is doing that. And I want to tell him he's a compromiser. Wow. The hearsay stuff that we, well, did you hear about that church over, did you hear, and here we go, because we're looking at things through our lens and never given an opportunity. To really see men and women the way they were. Well, I, I, you, I got to tell you some things on what's their name here. I'm talking about you. I'm not, don't worry. But to see, that's how we are. He said, what do you see? I see men as trees. Remember what the tree was? It is needed for life. And the thing is, I've got to have you. You've got to have me. And I've got to have those out there that haven't even come to be a part of this great move of God. This guy by the name of Mark White. I don't know a lot about him. You, I think it's, is that his name? Todd, Todd White. That's got all the dreadlocks. Tattooed. I don't know about him. But I don't know anything about him. But see, if I'm not careful, I'll judge everything through my religious limb that said, wait a minute, I just told you you're not supposed to have that stuff. And how can he do it with those dreadlocks and all that's going on in his life? But that's one of the boldest dudes on the planet to walk up to anybody anywhere and gather a crowd and lead them to Jesus. My question for you is how do you see men? And Jesus gives us the answer. He gives us the answer when he touched him again. Because I'm telling you, the only way we're going to see people the way they need to be seen is going to be by the Spirit of God. Pastor, you have taught us that ever since you've been in this house. That we are to know, as Paul said, no man by the flesh, but know them by the Spirit. They may not come in in a suit like I dress. They may not come in looking like I would look or like you would look. But they're passionate. They're hungry. They're desirous for the Lord. I believe it is so imperative at this moment that 
every one of us desire, please hear me and I'm done here, that every one of us desire in this hour to live the life of the Holy Spirit and to literally be immersed in Him. I believe it's imperative. But pastor, I don't know about those tongues. Can I give you some advice? Don't worry about that right now. Don't worry about that. I know that's what we've done in the past. You've got to get tongues and everything is straightened out. But I believe if you'll do this, if you'll just desire the life of the Spirit to pursue Him, to desire to be immersed in Him, you won't have to worry about tongues. It'll come out of you and you won't even know you're doing it. You'll be speaking things you, by the Spirit you never thought you would ever be speaking anyway. If you will just get hungry and desirous and say, Holy Spirit, I'm open to you. Like the little hillbilly in Kentucky when my brother John was preaching years ago that didn't know any better but just lifted up his hands and said, Happy Landing, Holy Ghost, and was filled immediately. And I'm telling you, it can be that simple. It can be that simple. I believe we are in a prophetic moment and in a very strategic moment. And God wants you to start seeing yourself the way he sees you. You need to look in that mirror and say, good morning, son of the most high God. Good morning, daughter of the most high, anointed and appointed and primed and ready for the day that I'm set for. I am here on assignment. I carry the glory of God everywhere I go. Come on, somebody. We've got to start believing who God said we were. Come on and stand with me tonight. Get your paws up in the air. I'm going to bless you like you're going to receive something. Father, I thank you tonight for your word that has been released to us. I thank you for this moment that you have called us into and you have brought us into. Father, there's a lot of things we don't understand, but I know that you said, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it been recorded, and neither has it been heard. How does that go? I have not seen nor ear heard what has been prepared for those that love you. But we know, God, that's your word. You said we know. So tonight, I bless your people to walk in a measure of the Holy Spirit. They have not walked in. That they will walk immersed. They will walk full. They will walk to the overflow. And they will carry out the life of the Spirit. They'll know like they have never known before. We will declare that we have the mind of Christ. We will walk in the wisdom and the counsel of Holy Ghost. We will walk in the strength and the fear of the Lord. Father, we thank you for that tonight, that this is a people that are for signs and wonders and your glory is being revealed upon them and through them everywhere they go and people are going to follow them because of the glory that is resting upon them. In Jesus' name. You're blessed to walk in it. So go in it. In Jesus' name. Good night, everybody.